Welcome back into One Winning Pod, where it is a dead zone right now in the NFL news cycle. Uh, Still waiting to hear about what's going on with Lamar's contract. Still waiting for free agency to start. Starting to look at prospects for this upcoming draft. But, you know, nothing really to talk about today as far as breaking news or hot takes. So we're going to do one of our uh, evergreen episodes. Look at a point back in Ravens history, uh, see what we remember about it, uh, look at what it means for the Ravens history from the full perspective of time. And the time we're talking about here, it's crazy because it doesn't feel this long ago, but 20 years ago, uh, Jamal Lewis joined the 2,000-yard club. Uh, It was an excellent year for Jamal, obviously, if you remember watching that season live or you heard about it. So we're going to do a deep dive into that year. Look at the highlights, look at how the Ravens were able to pull this off, and yeah, just have a fun trip down memory lane. So I guess we'll start it off, because uh, I already know the answer to this, <laughs> but what do you guys remember from uh, 2003? Jamal Lewis, what's the first thing that comes to your mind of that year? Before or after rewatching everything? Like, my opinion a couple days ago or, or as of right now? <laughs> Let's do before, yeah. So before, I just remember it being a magical time. Jamal Lewis had an early game in the season where he just completely blew up and, uh, you know, got all of these yards and ever after, like always after that, there was a discussion, like he could go for the record, he'd go for the record and he got hundred yard games frequently. And I just remember it like every Sunday you were tuning in to see what Jamal would do. And he was the focal point of the offense. Uh, the quarterback situation was not great. And it's also like an interesting thing to me to think about as a fan because I know I watched the Super Bowl year. I remember that pretty well because it was the Super Bowl year. But it was my first year as a fan. I do not really recall the year after as much, even though I remember watching it. Because I remember like all the quarterbacks and the Gerbacks, but I don't remember like like things in my like I can't tell you too much about the season other than it was a failed season. I can't tell you too much about twenty uh two thousand two. But what I can tell you is about two thousand three, right? Like I remembered all this stuff when I was rewatching it. It was like all coming back to me. And I remember some of it before too, right? I knew like uh, Cleveland was where he got like what 500 and <laughs> yards you know like 500 yards against one opponent in a year and it's ridiculous um, and and uh, my big thing when I was watching Jamal again you know at his prime at his height is like they don't make him like this anymore his size and speed is remarkable 240 pounds just like quick through the hole but also had those choppy churning steps to keep getting a couple more yards of contact like such a cool running back Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Alec, of I have some occasional memories, I think, of 2000. Honestly, most of the, I think just the playoffs, honestly, like some regular season, but like most playoffs, it was still kind of early. I feel like I didn't really start to get into football that much, maybe until like the 06 season. Um, And then obviously the Flacco years, I think a lot of, you know, fans around our age start remembering everything from 2008 on, but. I remember the 2,000-yard season, um, just, you know, the the fact that it happened. I don't remember many sort of events or, you know, specific games from it. I think maybe the Cleveland one might have stood out a little bit. But, but yeah, I know the season happened. But, yeah, I mean, I know it was a, it was a season I think we were looking forward to kind of the playoffs and just another, you know, you know, not didn't make too much noise uh, in the playoffs. It was, you know, a little bit disappointing, I guess, from that aspect. Um, and it was the year that we drafted Suggs and then Bowler, um, which was, 
you know, great for Suggs, but but not so much for the guy. <laughs> um, so yeah, like yeah, mixed mixed feelings. But you know, I, I do think um, I'm actually really excited to talk about this episode because um, you know I think in the grand scheme of things, it, it feels you know maybe this is just kind of my you know sort of reaction to it, but it, it kind of feels to me that just it was one that was very overlooked. Um, you know, obviously you had Adrian Peterson. Um, end up breaking the record a couple years later. You had a couple of other rushers who kind of hit the 2,000-yard mark, Chris Johnson being one of them. And, uh, you know, Jamal is really good. As a Ravens fan, like, yeah, he's probably one of the best, if not maybe, like, the best running back in kind of franchise history. But just in, in the state of, like, the NFL, it just wasn't – it seemed kind of like an outlier. You know, it didn't really seem as big. It didn't seem like, you know, his best seasons were ahead of him. Yeah, it just, you know, it was something of, like, okay, yeah, it happened, but – other than that, like, you know, didn't kind of feel as special, at least to me. Yeah, you know, similar thoughts to you guys as well, um, uh, <laughs> which isn't too much of a surprise. I do remember that year, and I, I was actually at that game. This was during the period that, of when time when my dad had uh, season tickets, and I got to go to a decent amount of the games with him. Um, so I remember going into that game, like, you know, I we, we knew – Jamal, from my perspective, from what I can remember from that time, like I knew that Jamal was a big part of our offense, basically the offense, right? But I think like what Chris said, I look back at that game going into it, I was like, yeah, Jamal's a good player on this team. But even when I thought about it, I think, you know, I always thought like, oh, but like Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Peter Boulware, those are the, the, you know, among the top five players on our team. Jamal just happens to be the best player on our offense. But then that game and particularly watching it live, like in that game, I saw Jamal from my perspective as an 11 year old uh, kid, basically turn into Superman. It was just crazy to seeing him just, just run over to Cleveland defense and, you know, we'll talk about it, but he just had a burst that season that had been lacking in his, his first two seasons of his career, mostly due to uh, recovering from injury from college, and then, like we talked about, the 2001 injury, coming back from that in 2002. And for myself, I think it, it that season had such an impact on me because you know, our first couple of seasons watching football, as much as f- fun as it was to grow up on learning how to win from a defensive perspective, I mean, it was unique. Most people who get into football can't say that, that defense is what brought them into following a team. The league is still run by offensive players, and particularly when you're a kid, you want it. You want some exciting player to to root for. Like, gosh, what were some of the players I was a big fan of outside of the Ravens from offense? I think like Randy Moss. I was a big Randy Moss fan. Um, I'm sure others. Randy Moss is the one that comes to my mind for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, just to see Jamal morph into that for that year, he became a star offensive player that the whole league had to had to talk about and respect. And I don't know, that that seems like pretty cool because we hadn't seen that to that degree in our fandom yet. An, a player on the offensive side of the ball that's getting national headlines. Um, and one other thing about that season, which I don't know, you guys can tell me if I'm off base on that, but in a little bit, it's funny, there are some comparisons there to Jamal's 2003 year and Lamar Jackson's 2019 season. Like you look at it, both of them had their their big breakout game where they got on the national map within the first two weeks of the season, and then after that they were must watch football. And you you were confident going into every game, this guy's going to perform. You know you're going to get something big out of this guy. Um, and both their seasons ended 
uh, a disappointment and home playoff losses to Tennessee, coincidentally enough. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, and I think it's a little hard to, to draw too close of a parallel. I get that, particularly different positions and different eras of football. But in some ways, Jamal's dominance in 2003 was very similar to watching what Lamar did uh, in 2019, in my opinion. I think that's a wonderful comp. I never thought of it that way, but I don't think I'll not think about it that way after that <laughs> statement because <laughs> you're right. It's it's a unique time where very quickly it became must-see TV, like you said. I just remember every every game being like, we know Jamal's going to get the ball. And it, it, and like you said, Chris, it was the Kyle Bowler era. He started the season as the starter, and the first game he threw a lot. We were also behind, and also Jamal was not getting yards. And the next week, apparently in the media, they were like, yeah, Jamal's going to have to run at least 30 times or whatever. Like, I'd be crazy not to, said Billick. And then uh, apparently Cleveland was yapping, being like, eh, you know, if you run 300 or 30 times, I'm going to get 30 tackles or whatever, like this one linebacker said. <laughs> and then Jamal, like, snapped back. And this is all, like, before, like, you know, social media and stuff. He snaps back and he's like, if I run 30 times, I'm going to break the record. And then he did. <laughs> Going back and forth, those Blackberry battles. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, BBM. <laughs> they had each other's pins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I love that comparison. I think it's really cool. And I think it's also interesting going into it as well that in 2000, right? Like I'm looking at the notes here. In 2000, Corey Dillon, Corey Dillon of uh, Bullies of Baltimore fame who didn't want to proceed against the Ravens defense managed to get 278 yards against Denver, which was the record holder before that Cleveland game. So I think that's an interesting uh, parallel too of uh, Corey Dillon. We talked about him recently when we did the Bullies of Baltimore episode and that he was the previous record holder. Yeah. Uh, AFC Central football was then uh, ground and pound division still is to an extent today. And yeah, I mean, Corey Dillon, very good running back in his own right. Yeah. I was like, again, like we said, just something about Jamal's game that, that really broke it um, and, and just, cemented as something really special in Ravens history, even though, as we talked about already, technically Adrian Peterson, he, he got little, he got Jamal by one yard four years later, 296 yards, so Jamal doesn't have that record anymore. Uh, Jamal wasn't able to surpass Eric Dickerson, uh, was second all-time single-season rushing yard leader at the end of the 2003 season. Uh, and then Adrian Peterson, who... I don't know what his problem is with Jamal, but he surpassed him and, and finished a few yards shy of Eric Dickerson's record in 2012, I believe. Uh, so, but I, I still think, you know, even though technically, like Chris said, we've seen a couple running backs eclipse 2,000 yards since, uh, most recently in 2020, believe it or not, Derrick Henry, and we've seen his, his record get broken. It, it still is a huge part in Ravens history, I think. And before we talk more on that season, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of frame who Jamal was going into this year uh, for maybe some of the younger fans who, you know, you got into football after 2003 and you've heard of Jamal, but you didn't, you know, you don't know it that well. It just refresh people's memory because um, there are some interesting nuggets we, we dug up. Yeah, so Jamal grew up uh, in Atlanta. Uh, there was an interview he did with Bleacher Report back a few years ago. He was talking about his childhood uh, apparently, he 
would play football in a park uh, and with the other neighborhood kids. And, you know, unfortunately, it was a rundown area of Atlanta. And so he would just, they had to play on this hill with, that was covered in, according to Jamal, dirt and and glass shards. So, like, he didn't want to get tackled. And that's where his <laughs> his hard-nosed rushing style came. Uh, and then had a great high school career, as every player in the NFL does. Uh, went off to Tennessee, uh, had great years as a freshman, and uh, played with Peyton Manning uh, his senior year. Well, excuse me, it was Peyton Manning's senior year at Tennessee uh, that Jamal played with him. And Jamal uh, said in the Bleacher Report article and in several interviews, uh, if you look on YouTube, this is something he said many times, uh, really cited Peyton Manning to as a guy who really taught him what it means to really prepare uh week in and week out what does it mean to practice so that you have your best effort on game day which i thought was really interesting because you know obviously when we were growing up the colts were the most hated team in baltimore because you know the the sting of the colts leaving for indianapolis was still fresh and peyton manning was not a guy who ravens fans had much love for at all and you know here's this guy before he got into the league he's helping out one of the best ravens players helping get set the foundation for him that would uh, be the engine for this Baltimore offense in Lewis's years. Yeah, that was one of those, uh, you know, facts I, you know, just kind of overlooked of both them playing in Tennessee, but you're right. I mean, that's a, a pretty interesting parallel. Um, I feel like, you know, nowadays I feel like some of that is a little bit more apparent. I don't know. It's probably just being a little bit more familiar with the, the league and the players in them and their sort of college careers, but but yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. I mean, Peyton was, you know, uh, you know, obviously a really, really great player, but you know, was in the league for a very long time, prepared very well. So, yeah, I could definitely see that being an influence on him. I think maybe going back too, uh, we can kind of talk about before the, you know, the 2003 season. Kind of looking back, um, you know, we probably rehashed this a little bit in some of our episodes. Um, you know, a little bit last episode, I think, with the Bullies of Baltimore, but. Um, you know, Jamal really kind of broke out immediately as a rookie uh, when the Ravens drafted him fifth overall in 2000. You know, he broke uh, the single season single season rushing record as a rookie, won Offensive Rookie of the Year award, um, scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl, was a huge part of the offense. Um, you know, lots of you know players I think talked about it, Dilfer included. Of you know, the offense ran through Jamal absolutely you know uh you know came out of the gate running and um yeah i mean performed really well um so you know when you're talking about the 2003 season it's it's not something that came out of nowhere like it was definitely building up of it was building up to something like that but i I think it kind of goes back to your point earlier peter of it it you know jamal was a really he was a really good player on the ravens but it didn't kind of make that step into like a really good player in the nfl yeah, absolutely. And a, an interesting tidbit going back to his rookie year that uh, I found out this morning. Shout out to at has the truth, H A Z on Twitter. Not sure if you're a listener. Um, we might tag you. I don't know because I thought this was an interesting <laughs> video that he dug up. Uh, I just saw this, ironically, just scrolling on Twitter literally this morning. Um, <laughs> was on Ravens Twitter. We have the original dra- uh, footage from ESPN of Chris Berman and the, and the group. Uh, talking about this pick, the Ravens drafted Jamal Lewis with the fifth overall pick in 2000, uh, which was a stacked running back draft. You had 
in addition to Jamal Lewis, there was talk of it was everyone was going back and forth between was Jamal Lewis the best running back in this draft is uh, Thomas Jones the best running back in this draft who you know despite Jones despite having a, a slow start to his career would uh, finish up strong with um, Chicago and the Jets um, and actually I looked it up he only he had just 100 less rushing yards for his career than Jamal did when all was said and done um, but. In addition to that, you had guys, I know you had Sean Alexander in that draft, uh, and there were some other guys too. If you look at that draft, it's a stacked running back draft, but uh, the the initial response when the Ravens drafted Jamal Lewis, uh, coincidentally, a pick that they had acquired from Atlanta, so uh, Jamal Lewis, Atlanta-born, uh, the Ravens got this pick in a trade with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, you know, the, the reaction was mixed, and the question was, is is this guy even going to be ready to play in week one? Because while he had a great freshman year at Tennessee, he had uh, injuries, had, had plagued him the rest of the way. And he was coming back from, uh, I forget which injury it was that he was rehabbing from uh, after his final year at Tennessee. But uh, yeah, there was questions. Are we going to get Jamal to be able to play at all during the 2000 season? Is this a pick that the Ravens made to basically for this guy to just sit on the shelf and, and rehab until... 2001 irony of ironies of course 2001 was the year Jamal didn't play uh, but he did play in the his rookie year and you know honestly you look at his freshman tape and you look at his 2003 tape I think it's fair to say that he his body wasn't 100% back but even not 100% back Jamal Lewis like Chris just said uh, just had an excellent rookie year and was just able to just plow through defenses with uh, you know, stacked boxes and, and uh, going against defenses that knew the Ravens are going to be working hard to get any passing game going on offense. Definitely an interesting pick for the Ravens, given their, uh, I guess, potential that year. And uh, later on, on to win the Super Bowl. Kind of cool how there's always a key contributor um, from the draft when the Ravens win the Super Bowl, like uh, Jimmy Smith that year. We talked about that. Uh he was a key contributor down the stretch there. Um, so was Jamal, you know, one of the parts of the offense that worked even when uh, <laughs> the offense wasn't scoring points. He was still able to put up yards. And uh, also forgotten from that draft is Travis Taylor, uh, the 10th overall pick, the Ravens' actual pick. Um, definitely a disappointing pick. Uh, didn't work out quite as well, obviously, as Jamal. But, uh, yeah, just a very special player. Interesting that uh, – there was so much controversy around. I do not recall that. I definitely was not watching the draft back then. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate has the truth pulling that up for us. Well, inadvertently. I mean, I just yeah. scrolled. He didn't send it to us. No, I know. But unless you know. he did, you know, maybe it was subliminal. He said it was coincidental. <laughs> he <laughs> this just morning, knew I was like, man, we're, we're doing this. a Jamal Lewis podcast today. And, and <laughs> that's up on here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, going back to Jamal, I mean, his rookie season, we talked a lot about that. Uh, when we did the review for the Bullies of Baltimore um, recap. And then, as Alec has alluded to multiple times, he was there at the practice when Jamal tore his... It was his ACL, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then here's the guy coming back. I mean, this guy's been injured multiple times in college. Just had an ACL injury uh, from the previous offseason Coming back into 2002, obviously the Ravens, this is their big rebuild. You know, the Ravens, they had to gut the defense uh, because of salary cap. You 
lost uh, some veteran guys like Cadre Ishmael and Shannon Sharp on the offensive side of the football. You have virtually no quarterback. You're, you're rolling the dice with Chris Redman, who, you know, I don't, I don't know if anyone ever expected Redman to be a starter-capable quarterback or if he was just like, you know, the Ravens had, had, to, had drafted him. They were just like, let's give him a shot. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it, it really is one of the more underappreciated moments in Ravens history, I think. And part of it, I think, is because the, the Super Bowl nucleus got blown up so quickly. But really, how quickly the Ravens were able to bounce back from that in 2002. Of course, in 2002, they did not make the playoffs. They were 7-7 seven and seven through the first 14 uh, games before uh, blowing a late uh, lead against Cleveland at home and then uh, just needing a win against Pittsburgh and a billion other tiebreakers to happen, uh, just got crushed by Pittsburgh in the final of that year. But really, there, there's so much happened that year that allowed the Ravens to jump back into the playoffs con- uh, contention in 2003 and actually make the playoffs. And uh, a big thing there was the year that Jamal had in 2002. You look at his numbers, very similar to what he had his rookie season um, and, and had a, a strong game receiving the ball too. And again, while the Ravens passing offense may be slightly better than 2000, still not that much better. And so here's a guy coming off ACL injury and they're asking him once again, hey, you got to be the focal off- point on offense because skill position wise, we got Todd Heap and that's it. <laughs> and he's still able to do it. I, I, you know, I think it's something that that certainly, you know, when, when you sit down and, and think about it, every Ravens fan will be like, oh, yeah, of course, but still not something that's talked about as much, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the closest I mean the closest comp kind of to that level of reliance I guess but I mean maybe like Derrick Henry today you know of j- just in terms of the offense needing to be able to rely on something or knowing that like the offense is going to go through this particular player um, you know even I guess maybe Adrian Peterson maybe back in 2012 I guess it was maybe before that uh, might have been a good comp but uh, you know, in terms of rushing style, at least you know Henry, I, I feel like is probably the closest thing to kind of like a Jamal like player that that we kind of have in, in recent times. I think for everything that the Ravens lacked that year in skill position players, you're looking at, you know, like <laughs> Peter said, you got Travis Taylor and Todd Heap and uh, Marcus Robinson, <laughs> uh, Terry Jones, you know, <laughs> like Frank Sanders. Like these are not these are not great names, but what they did have. And I think one of the reasons that Jamal was so exceptional that year was a fantastic offensive line led by Jonathan Ogden, of course, Hall of Famer, Edwin Multalo, one of the standouts of our comp pick bracket back in 2020, Mike Flynn, who uh, I had better memories of than uh, Ken McCusick does, Bernie Anderson, who uh, he became a four-year star after nobody wanted him. In 2000, and of course, Orlando Zeus Brown, the OG before Junior, uh, holding down the right hand tackle side. So, I think that line, and you see it in the clips. You know, they weren't doing crazy pulls that often. They weren't doing anything crazy. They were just blocking their guys effectively and creating holes. Yeah, they were. They were just a, a group that could plow you over. I mean, that was my biggest takeaway looking at it uh, from this point. Um, it's definitely way too young of a football fan to appreciate offensive line back when this was happening live. So this week I'm looking at what highlights do exist out on YouTube in their incredibly clear fidelity. 
and I'm being sarcastic there. So it's 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 difficult to watch it, but from what you can see, like yeah, the big guys there. They're getting off the line. They're pushing guys. It looks violent. It looks chaotic, in my opinion, um, c- compared to what you see today. And in, in some cases, I'm looking at it. Uh, gosh, the, the run that Jamal had, the 82-yarder, um, to start the whole thing, I would put in this category as well. You look at it, and I'm like, I don't I don't see how this, this worked. It's just like the ball snapped, <laughs> right? and linemen are going everywhere. Cleveland guys are flying. It's a, just a total scrum. And yet Jamal's able to find his way through, and he's off to the races with uh, Travis Taylor. You know, Travis Taylor, obviously we're saying, you know, as a receiver, didn't really pan out. He actually had some good run blocks in his highlights I'm seeing. So, you know, credit to him because, uh, you know, obviously – he gets he gets uh, uh, his name dragged around a, a lot for understandable reasons, but credit to him there. It looks like he did some decent run blocking that year. Um, yeah, it's it's different. It's different <laughs> back then than it is today. But yeah, those guys up front they were they were big, and you know, at, at Jamal, if you listen to interviews from the time, uh, even now, it, he always talks about how the. the the biggest reason he was able to do what he did was because of the guys up front. Jamal, always a guy to uh, credit his offensive line, credit them. I think in, in one interview, I think he said that that the offensive line wanted him to break the record more than he did. He said like they they, they all wanted it more than, than him because, I mean, obviously they saw it as their record as well, right? Because they were the ones without those holes. He can't do it, and they got to work extra hard because Jamal's facing these eight-man boxes because defenses are – are just daring the Ravens to to pass it with whether it's Kyle Bowler, Chris Redman, or Anthony Wright back there. So, yeah, I mean, a, a really solid group. Um, maybe their pass protection wasn't as good, uh, but their run blocking definitely uh, was great that year and huge reason that Jamal was able to do what he did. Indeed, man. I, I'm glad that you see it the same way. I'm watching these you know, highlights from the season. It's just chaos. And then he emerges. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're like, how did he possibly read that? And like, it's like to- old Looney Tunes cartoons where, you know, Tasmanian devil is just in that whirlwind and then Bugs Bunny just pops out unscathed. That's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good comp. Like, it, I'm so, I'm so glad you said it because I was watching, I was like, I'm like trying to look at it, you know, like, oh, this, this is my more critical eye, you know, looking at 2003 film. I'm looking at him like, are they just like running straight ahead and, and hitting the first person they see? I mean, I guess that's kind of zone blocking, but not really. It just, like you said, it looks much more violent, much more chaotic. And then like, boom, <laughs> Jamal Lewis is in the open field. Man, can you imagine what Jamal Lewis would have done with Greg Roman? He would have had like <laughs> oh, 4,000 <man>. yards. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> like legitimately, like I watched Jamal Lewis and then we had a back like that. And also he had some decent hands, you know, I'm not trying to disparage JK Dobbins or anything. It's just like, if we had a back like that with Lamar, it would be wild for sure. I mean, he is the thunder and the lightning. You know, we talk about the thunder of, <laughs> of the Gus bus and the lightning of JK. It's like, he was thunder and lightning. Like the speed on that guy. It was incredible. You know, I can't get over when he's in the open field. No one's catching him. And he's 240 pounds, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. Like, he do, elusive, elusive moves, not really his thing, but he did have enough change of direction there. You know, some of those breakaway runs, he would kind of have that slow, you know, change of direction every now and again, you know, at the beginning of the runs. He'd have the those chop steps that he could do and make someone miss. Yep. But 
you know, it, it was enough because like, you didn't need too much when you have all that, uh, all that mass that you have, for lack of a better term, when you've you got your your speed going that fast. Um, something incredible to watch. It's like, you know, of course, biasly, I'm going to say Jamal Lewis is a more dynamic back than you know a guy like Derrick Henry. But I think objectively, you got to say that too. I mean, no disrespect to Henry, he's obviously a great player, but. You know, he feels like he just kind of lumbers there, and it's just, you know, very straight line speed. But but Jamal had that he had that violentness to his running, um, both to his his you know advantage during his career, and unfortunately his his detriment uh, as well. Um, you know, fortunately he's feeling the the side effects of of concussions. Uh, maybe we'll link this article. I've already referenced it before at the beginning. There's a, a very good article from May 2018 written by uh, Tyler Dune uh, of Bleacher Report. It's called Jamal Lewis Making Most of Post-NFL Life but Preparing for Darker Days to Come. Uh, fascinating article. Uh, hopefully we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, a very fascinating yep. look at... It's already linked. I've there it is. I've us as we go. Yeah. So it's already it's, linked. It's long <laughs> and it's, uh, it's... It's a little bit of... Uh, you know, it's a bittersweet read because like it sounds like there's some things going really well for Jamal right now but obviously some... Uh, difficulties he had too post NFL, but really interesting read that I recommend uh, everyone who's a Ravens fan check out. But uh, yeah, back to the offensive line briefly. I think also you know we talked about the starters, but uh, this line had some depth too. There might have been more than these two guys I have in the notes, but uh, Casey Robach, a guy who who filled in on multiple occasions on the interior of the line. Um, I, I knew he played center and, and right guard that year. I did see some highlights with him at left guard too. Uh, he was a guy who was dependable that the Ravens could always plug in there. Um, and also right tackle, Ethan Brooks was a guy who, um, also a guy the Ravens were able to, to plug in, kind of be a swing tackle. Um, interestingly enough, he did start the game uh, where Jamal broke the record for, for Zeus. Um, Zeus is in there later. I don't know why Brooks got the first two drives, but uh, he was there at right tackle for, for the record-breaking, uh, for not for the record break. well, for some of the record-breaking game. And that big run at the beginning. And we got to talk about the fullback, Alan Ricard. Ravens love their fullbacks. And there's, you know, the, it was same here too. Uh, Ricard was also a huge reason that the Ravens were able to do what they did uh, back at a time when everyone was using fullbacks. So it's like the Ravens weren't an odd man out here. <laughs> you needed a fullback in that NFL. And, and Ricard had a great year for the Ravens there. I feel like this is the other amazing sort of like fun fact here that the Ravens have had multiple fullbacks, both named Ricard. I don't, I did not remember Alan, Alan Ricard at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, played for, played for the Ravens for a couple of years and, you know, most famously the, you know, 2003 season blocking for Jamal. So yeah, that's wild. <laughs> no relation to Pat from my understanding. It could be. I don't think so, but. <laughs> well, that's like me. And uh remember we had Ken on the show once and I, like misremembered Leach as the fullback of that era. I don't know why in the world, you know, it was like a decade later almost that Leach was playing. But I do recall whoever the fullback was back when Madden had the lead blocker control and it was Alan Ricard. I would lead blocker the control of the crap out of people <laughs> in that game. And it was just hilarious. I know that people hated me whenever I played because <laughs> like I would lead blocker control every single time. And I'd be like, this ISO run is always going to work until you stop me. <laughs> like I will literally keep calling ISO until I'm blue in the face and Jamal has 500 yards. <laughs> Which Madden was that? Because like, 
I forget which Madden that was introduced in, and it was like a hard feature to master. But if you did, which it sounds like you did, it you were unstoppable. Yeah. No, it was. I, I forget what. Yeah, I forget what year it was introduced, but that was a hundred percent me in that game. I had dominated the lead blocker control, and I was just springing yards like crazy. And like I said, people like uh, online hated me. <laughs> like every time I did it, people were like, "Are you kidding me with this guy?" Because <laughs> it always like slow motions you when you like get into that control. <laughs> And I was just like, he's doing it again. <laughs> yep. Lead Man, box some control. Things, some things never change. <laughs> Getting frustrated, Madden. Always, always in. <laughs> oh, man. Well, speaking of Ricard, um, you know, I, I think we do want to talk a little bit about the rest of the season because as great as that game was against Cleveland, like uh, if Jamal had just had that big game there and then, you know, that was kind of the year, like, I don't, we wouldn't remember this year as much uh, as that. That game, that game itself still would have been big, but like really what cemented Jamal's year was just everything that happened after that. Um, you know, after you have a big game like that, everyone's looking at the next week. It's just like, can you repeat? And, you know, it was funny. I, I talked about this on, on Ken's podcast. Uh, this is, we're we're going to promote something else here. Uh, Ken McCusick Film Study. I was doing a series right now. Some of you may be listening to it already. That one play I was on last week to talk about Jamal's play, uh, the 82-yard run at the beginning of the Cleveland game. And we talked about how the next week, um, Jamal basically gave a thank you gift to Ricard for all the great blocking he did against Cleveland by uh, fumbling the ball forward in in the first quarter. And Ricard just scoops the ball up in stride, runs 35 yards untouched for the touchdown, a fullback stream. Um, <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, no, Jamal came back. He went in that game. I think he had like a hundred. Yeah, we have it here. One hundred thirty-two yards and a touchdown. Um, it really just solidified. Like, yeah, this guy. It, he had that record-breaking game the week before. He followed up with a strong performance on the road. After that, you know, we don't know what we got it from this passing game in two thousand three, but we know one thing about this offense: Jamal is going to be the man. Yeah, it was a season where you know monster performances pretty much almost every game um only three games in the whole season uh that he didn't cross the century mark in terms of yards you know 68 yards in a win against jacksonville 91 in a loss against miami and then 78 yards uh against san francisco uh you know a little bit later but uh yeah it, i i feel like yeah recently the 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 most you know comparison that i have is is like derrick henry i mean you look at some of some of the games of just like complete dominance against some of the division rivals, like, you know, with Jamal, it was Cleveland and Cincinnati, uh, with, you know, a guy like Henry, you have that against Houston, um, or, you know, Indianapolis or something where, you know, just, we'll just run over everybody. And, uh, you know, a couple of also just like, you know, guaranteed hundred yard games, you know, pretty much the, the, the rest of the season. So yeah, it was, uh, you know, put on a show every week man it was uh you know really really great um to to definitely see that yeah in, in addition to that follow-up game against san diego i think some of the other really high points from that year before we get to uh the final game of the season and the quest for breaking the record if if anyone recalls that season uh pittsburgh despite crushing the ravens in the season opener fell off a cliff after that uh and cincinnati surprised everyone marvin lewis's uh second no first year coaching there first year coaching there uh just came out of nowhere and they were neck and neck in the division race with the ravens uh critical home game after cincinnati had beaten the ravens earlier that year jamal 
comes out firing 180 rushing yards and three touchdowns. Uh, the Ravens run away with that game, literally huge there. And then a few weeks later, you had the rematch against the Browns in Cleveland. And for the first half of that game, the Browns actually did hold uh, Jamal in check. Uh, I think he only had like around 50 yards rushing. Uh, Ravens were just having a difficult time running the ball. Uh, they, they were still winning. They, you know, they, they were shutting out the Browns by two scores going into the halftime. But uh, in the second half, that was a different story. Jamal just broke two big ones again, two touchdowns, 205 rushing yards, uh, uh, even 500 yards rushing against the Browns. That was an NFL record then for most amount of rushing yards against one team by a single player in a season. And that one, that one's harder to Google to see if Jamal still has it. I'm going to guess he still does. So Derrick Henry in 2020 had 462 yards against Houston. That's the only uh, of the 2K backs. That's the only one I could see who had two dominating games against a division guy or division team. If someone else had over 500 in, in two weeks, it was pro- like that was like all they did that year. It was like, I don't know, <laughs> some running back from uh, Arizona just they were just like had 600 yards against the Rams and like 30 yards the rest of the year. I don't know, but um, yeah. So uh, just an incredible dominance there for Jamal uh, against the Browns that year. Doing a quick check. Adrian Peterson looks like had did not have 500. He had two, he had two ten plus one ninety nine against green Bay in 2012. Hmm. So what's that for? Like Four or nine? Four or nine. Yeah. And ain't 500. Yep. There we go. Jamal still holds on to the most obscure record that he had <laughs> that year. <laughs> yeah, such a great factoid. Like, I'm so glad. I mean, obviously, it had to be divisional for it to happen twice, but it's always fun to be against. Like, it would be better if it was the Steelers, I guess, in the canon. <laughs> right. And if he did, if it was better, if he had better games against the Steelers, he would have broke the record, as we're now alluding to with the, that last game. Yeah, absolutely. So it, 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 the the year ends so interestingly for the Ravens. And it's like, unfortunately, it was a kind of a little bit of a downer with the way everything uh, transpired at the end. So It's more and more like 2019. <laughs> that's true. It really that's is. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Jamal, uh, after that game against Cleveland, second game against Cleveland was the second to last game of the season. Jamal exits that game at 1,952 yards for the year. Eric Dickerson's record, I believe, is something like 2,106. I can look that up quickly. 2,105. I gave him one extra yard. So 2,106 is what Jamal was trying to get to uh, going into that game. And so now, of course, the Ravens are 10 and 5 at this. Sorry, 9 and 6 at this point. So as much as you want the record, obviously, the, the number one goal for the team is to make the playoffs and win a Super Bowl. Um, and this was before the era of flex scheduling. Now, the Ravens, they were atop the AFC North, but going into that week, if Cincinnati won and the Ravens lost, then Cincinnati would, would boot the Ravens from the playoffs. I believe that there wasn't a tiebreaker scenario in uh, the wild card because you had some strong teams in the wild card. You had Tennessee and Indianapolis vying for the number five seed. They both finished the season at 12 and four. And I forget who the sixth seed was, it was Denver. Denver might have finished 10 and 6 or something like that. But yeah, so the the Cincinnati the Ravens Steelers game was Sunday night, so the Cincinnati Cleveland game happened before that. The Ravens would know going into this game whether or not they needed to win it. And Cleveland 
uh, with the name of <laughs> ironically, Cleveland just tired of, of everyone running over them took a, a, a rookie who was like a fourth round pick and never did anything after that named Lee Suggs. And he just demolished Cincinnati. Uh, I forget how bad it was, but, but Cleveland beat them big. So the Ravens go into this game and they know already, Hey, we've made the playoffs. Like we've won the division, but, but they want to go for the record too. And so Billick has the choice, you know, do you rest your players for the next week or do you go for the record? And we obviously know which one he took. Jamal's out there at the start of the game and, and they go for the record. Yeah. And I think that's the right choice. Like I understand resting your players, but like this season was culminated on this record. And I feel as though like short of an injury, cause that's not, that wasn't really what happened uh, in the next game. Like short of like Jamal getting hurt in this game. I feel like if they're going to, you know, win it all and, and do it, it's going to be on the same pedigree of like just smashing Jamal <laughs> into the opposing defense and hoping for the best. And uh, I mean, you know, look at these quarterback situation. You got Anthony Wright back there at the end of the year. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, th- he threw more picks than he had touchdowns. Like, come on, this, this yeah. is your chance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't matter if you rest them or not. They're they're not suddenly turning into Peyton Manning if you know they have an extra week of rest or something. You know, <laughs> the, offense, <laughs> the offense is going to go through Jamal regardless. Yeah, in a way, like them breaking the record might have been a catalyst to more success in the playoffs, if anything. Like, I mean, you're getting into motivation and all this, you know, voodoo magic that some people say doesn't isn't a real thing. And, and and even if it's not, like, I think we can all agree that something like that almost is, like, better, <laughs> you know, for their chances in the playoffs than, than falling short. So, yeah, I mean, they tried. And it was funny. Apparently, like, I remember the interview they did with Jamal. It was like, I broke the record. But after – or. I broke 2000 but after that they weren't going to let me get the record. <laughs> you know, like it yeah. was like a, a switch went off in the in the Steelers and they, they struggled against them the first week. Better success week the the second time, but uh yeah, definitely wasn't what they were hoping for. Yeah, it, it was so interesting to watch live because as the night as the night started, like it looked like Jamal was actually had a legitimate shot at breaking it. Um yeah, he had a couple big runs or I shouldn't say big runs. He was always churning the clock. He had runs of six yards, three yards, eight yards, broke a 19-yarder. Uh, and then on the Ravens' second drive of the game, uh, breaks off a 25-yard touchdown, and on that carry, cr- crosses 2,000 yards. So he crosses a 2,000-yard threshold on a touchdown run. You don't get much more dramatic than that. But, yeah, like you said, after that, uh, it just was tough sledding, Um yeah, you just didn't have Jamal able to get too much there. Steelers clamped down, and you know Jamal still finished two thousand sixty six rushing yards for the year. Uh, incredible, incredible year. Unfortunately, though, Eric Dickerson's record was out of reach for him that year. And then the next week, uh, the Ravens had a shot against Tennessee, but uh, Tennessee coming in with a very strong defense, actually the number one rushing, number one defense against the run that year. So you got the number one rushing defense versus number one rushing offense. And in that case, the Titans, they came to play. And unfortunately, Jamal had his worst game of the season that year. Again, not le- not unlike 2019 Lamar, just the magic just completely faded like a pop balloon in that game. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. like last bit about the Steelers game. 
they had to drive down to get the game winning field goal. And Jamal's like, Ooh, maybe I'll break it. Like if I can get a long run on this drive, like maybe it'll work out. But then they threw that nice completion. I think it was a Tyrod Taylor and, uh, Travis Taylor. Travis Sorry. Taylor. Sorry. Yeah, Travis Taylor. <laughs> and uh, Man, you, about, you almost made middle school Tyrod Taylor's night. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they threw the pass to Taylor. He's like, ah, I'm not going to get it now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, too, because you think about, like, that, like you said, when he broke the 2,000-yard run, um, it was a it was a touchdown run, and if you watch the film on it, like he was gone, like no one was going to catch him. It could have been, you know, at the twenty five yard line, so the other twenty five, and he could have got an extra fifty yards out of it, and been closer to the record. But yeah, that's just how the way it goes. Um, but yeah, that that Tennessee game, huge disappointment, lose by three, all too familiar at home, just a, a very painful ending of the season. And I know that Bill got a lot of crap for. You know, revisionist history. Oh, you should have went for the record. You should have been playing for this game. That would have been the extra three points, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's always a convenient thing about, you know, when it, when a team <laughs> right. loses. It's, you could say, like, oh, well, if they rested their players, it's just like, oh, well, they came out, you know, slow because they hadn't played in, in a week or two. And then if, they, if you play them, you're like, oh, well, they lost because they were gassed because they played last week. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you, you never know. You never know, but I, I, I agree with you said, like, if he'd broke, I, I think the team came in, and like I said, they almost won the game. They were tied 17 in that game, you know, thanks to a Will Demps uh, interception return and a late, like, 35-yard touchdown pass to Todd Heap, and it took, gosh, it was like 42-year-old Morton Anderson uh, com- converted his longest field goal of the season that on that uh, kick. And that won the game for them. It was so, you know, it came down to a game that either team could have won. And just unfortunately, sometimes, sometimes in that game, uh, when two teams are, are evenly matched, one of them's still going to win. Sometimes that's not the home team. It was uh, Gary, his brother. Oh, it was Gary Anderson? Yeah. Gotcha. Morton Anderson was the one who was, what, what was he? He was perfect until the 1999 NFC Championship, I think. Yeah, like something like that <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I remember, I remember uh, the news when he like was no longer perfect. <laughs> yeah. So I guess to wrap up, you know, talk a little bit about the rest of Jamal's career. You know, because obviously, while he's he's an all time Ravens great and would still have a good career after the fact, I think it just ne- was never able to capture the magic of the 2003 season again. There were some moments in 2004. Um, but unfortunately for him, between a, a two-game suspension and an injury, only three games back from that, uh, just really derailed 2004 from being another All-Pro year from him. 2005, just the offense. We've we've talked about Jamal was able to save the Ravens from some anemic passing offenses. There may not have been. It, 2005 was just the worst combination of of skill position players outside of Derek Mason. Uh, and uh, just the worst offensive line he probably had his entire time there, which so it was that was an off year for him. 2006 saw a little bit of a revival, particularly in the touchdown department. Uh, broke 1,100 yards, I believe, for that very strong Ravens team. And then after that, unfortunately, um, disagreements with the front office on how long his contract should be. He wanted a longer contract than the Ravens front office was willing to give him. Uh, finished off his career in Cleveland. Had a strong year in 2007. 2008 2009 not as much uh, and then and then that was it his career was over but 
Yeah, I think, like Chris said at the beginning, definitely an all-time Ravens great. Uh, he was inducted into the Ravens Ring of Honor in 2012, 100% deserved. But yeah, I guess, you know, when we look at his career body as a whole, of course, 2003 stands out. But like, it is an interesting discussion. How good was he if you look at it from, you know, the NFL perspective uh, versus just the Ravens franchise? I mean, I definitely think he was quite good kind of what you mentioned the injuries and the lack of a lengthy career I think kind of derailed him from being a an all-time great at least from how uh, you know Canada would perceive it but I do think that he has um, you know some of the most historic seasons obviously in NFL history and it wasn't like a flash in the pan he definitely had many great years and, and great moments yeah I mean I you know I, I think Unfortunately, this is kind of the the story of the you know early two thousands Ravens, right? It's just that there's just so little balance on offense um, from not really getting the right quarterback, not really hitting on many receivers. Um, I mean, it's funny. Not until basically it was a two thousand five when the Ravens decided to bring in longtime enemy uh, of the Titans, Derek Mason, and as a as a receiver. I mean, until they kind of brought him in weren't really as many receiving options at least between you know kind of the 2000 uh you know season in 2005 if you exclude like Todd Heap I guess but yeah I mean because of that I think you know yeah you could give Jamal the ball 30 times a game but but yeah I, mean, I definitely think that you know that contributed to his longevity and that's unfortunate because you know yeah I think in the grand scheme of things I still think he's a very good player you know maybe he could have been a much better player if there was a little more more balance on offense but that just wasn't in the cards unfortunately uh, with, with kind of how the Ravens you know constructed their roster they just never could really get a team around it it's funny and until you know I know he was he was here in 2006 but I got to be honest I don't re- I really don't remember Jamal much that season which is crazy because he had over a thousand yards 1100 yards uh, nine touchdowns I mean all things considered that's a really good season but um, you know at least kind of how I remember it I re- you know I remember McNair being there I remember the passing game is a little bit better until that horrible Indianapolis playoff game um, and then the defense again was the you know, kind of the highlight of that team. Yeah, I feel it's kind of crazy that it just at least in my mind that, you know, one of his better years where the team was doing great, he kind of was a, a little bit more, you know, quiet, I think. Yeah, I, and I think that's right. The big thing that he missed after 2004 was he never got back to being that player that every week, you know, was must-see football. Um, you know, you look at his game logs against uh, from 2006 – he had a huge game against Atlanta, uh, 91 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, week three, he had two touchdowns against Cleveland to go for 86 yards. Only, despite having 1,100 yards for that year, only crossed 100 yards twice, uh, 109 against the Saints uh, in a blowout win, and, and then again against Cleveland <laughs> in the home game later that year. But yeah, you know, unfortunately, I, I do look at Jamal and, and Heap as two guys that unfortunately had like huge bad luck with injury i think both of them should have had careers where they played for you know at least two to three seasons longer and also were huge casualties of just the lack of the ravens to get even an adequate passing attack like can you imagine with how good both those guys were with the ravens with what they had to deal with when they were in their prime 
like those guys would have multiple more than I, Jamal has one Pro Bowl. I think he had two. They would have at least had three or four Pro Bowl seasons. I think if they were on uh, teams with adequate quarterbacks, stable quarterback situations, go to receivers. Um, and then just unfortunately for both of them, one, the Ravens did finally start to get uh, some better talent around them. Uh, both of them were starting to, to their bodies wearing down from the injuries, and they weren't able to benefit as much uh, from that. But if, if I'm an NFL fan who's like, say, a fan, I don't know, like the Bears or the 49ers or something, and I don't really have an opinion one way or the other of Jamal Lewis, I think, you know, you look back on him, and he's a guy that you would look back on and say, like, man, that guy, he was a monster for a bit there and a very exciting guy to, to watch, and you would probably be impressed with what he was able to do with that limited passing game uh, complimenting him. But, yeah, just unfortunate that injuries and the situations he were in was in uh, cut his career, which was a very good career, um, maybe short of, of being one of the all-time greats. Interestingly enough, though, um, despite him, you know, despite all the injuries, uh, he stands as the 25th, the 25th all-time uh, rushing leader in NFL history. Huh. I guess it's uh, a byproduct of the bell cow era and, uh, you know, him having huge years when he, he was available. I think so, yeah. <laughs> that is one thing we didn't talk about. Yeah, like <laughs> back then, running backs were getting, uh, and Jamal was no exception, Actually, Jamal was probably had more carries than anyone. We're, we're getting, you know, the amount of carries that backs these years get over two seasons in one. Yeah. I mean, it's a uh, little bit of an exaggeration, but. Yeah. yeah. Chester Taylor had like a little bit of an ascendancy. Um, those last few years in particular of Jamal started becoming more and more of a, a factor. But for most of the years, like you said, it was it was the Jamal show. 100%. One, one tangent there with. Um, talking about how it was a different NFL bell cow era without looking, how many running backs do you think in 2003 rushed for over 1000 yards? I would say first I was thinking 25. That seemed a little high. So I'm going to go to 18. 18 what do you running think, backs. Yeah. In the league. Uh, gosh, that seems kind of high to me. Um, 10. Very interesting. Alex should uh, play a lottery ticket tonight. He hit it right on the head. Wow. 18 oh, wow. running backs in 2003 uh, rushed for over 1,000 yards. Yo, is it too late for those numbers? Is, is the <laughs> is the Powerball high? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. We found out too late. <laughs> but, I mean, gosh. Let's look at, like, like, let's, I mean, this year is probably a little higher because we saw running backs get uh, a little bit of a of – a, real life yeah actually actually this past season there were 16 running backs who broke the thousand the century mark at a thousand yards but gosh i feel like even as recently as 2021 it wasn't that high yeah tw- last year 2021 it was only seven uh, in 2020 you had nine which included lamar jackson so <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah that's interesting so may- maybe we're seeing a-, a rebirth of that type of um nfl in a different manner of course. I definitely think there was more of a resurgence this year uh, to lean yeah. more on rushing attacks. Definitely. For sure. Guys, got two hours until the Powerball is drawn. It's currently at <laughs> $131 million. Cash value is 66.9. <laughs> Very nice. I'm in. Got to go to the gas go. station or something. <laughs> you got to go. Well, I guess we got to wrap up this recording, you know, so you don't, you know, don't get a... Uh, 
caught up and you miss it. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I think that about you know, wraps it up like we said, and I think we're coming close now to having to talk about the Lamar situation. So probably once he gets tagged, we'll discuss pass forward and what it really means. Uh, unless, of course, he signs a long-term deal beforehand, which would be cool. Um, we're talking about maybe having a guest for that show, so stay tuned for sure. How about you stay tuned? Subscribe to us, either in your podcast player of choice. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Find us on Twitter, at OneWinningPod. And you can email us, OneWinningPod at gmail.com. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>